0: Hey, everyone. Today, we have a very exciting guest on to talk about trauma, to talk about ecotherapy, to talk about men's mental health. So we're really excited for this episode. Um, and without further ado, Sheikah, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. My name is Sheikah uh, Shika Patel. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and a trauma therapist. I'm the founder of Collaborative Insights, and we are a therapy practice located out of Charlotte, North Carolina, but we um, offer therapy and other holistic services in both North Carolina and New Jersey.
0: Tell us a little bit about your practice and what you specialize in.
1: Sure. So there are two therapists, including me. Right now, we are um, continuing to expand, but for right now, there's myself. So like I said, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I um, ended up specializing in trauma therapy after I spent a few years working at UPenn. Um, I... Uh, worked in some uh, trauma programs there and I really ended up um, specializing and understanding a little bit more about neuropsychology and the um, impact that trauma really does have on the body and then on the brain and how it impacts just the person and then the person in their environment Um, and so I um, really spent quite a bit of time specializing my skills there and during the pandemic I Um, Started seeing clients in my in private practice, and after a few months of doing that, I realized that I really do have a passion for um, not just doing trauma work, but understanding the cultural context that people live in, um, and then applying the two of those. So I founded Collaborative Insights, and really, in the name of Collaborative Insights, is working together with people to be able to uh, create understanding and um, create change, and. Over time, over the last couple of years, we have shifted into um, the idea of decolonizing mental health as well. And so, part of that looks like um, taking a view of cultural practices. And, you know, specifically, I come from a South Asian background, and there is a lot of the folks that I do work with are also South Asian. And so, we offer the idea of um, holistic services, meaning uh, we offer yoga. Anna, who's a therapist who works at our practices, offers yoga and Reiki. Um, And then we do mindfulness-based practices. I offer ecotherapy, and I can go into a little bit more of that um, in a bit. But all these are rooted in uh, different cultural practices that exist in uh, different cultures and backgrounds of many other people around the world. And so we integrate that into clinical therapy as well. And so some of our clients do really enjoy um being able to integrate something like breath work, yoga, um, mm-hmm. body-based movement, ecotherapy, along with trauma recovery and um, processing.
0: I, uh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley, that's what I was gonna say. Because I feel I feel like I'm always saying like talk therapy. Just doesn't work for everyone, right? Or talk therapy doesn't work on its own for everyone, right? And so Mm -hmm. the fact that you offer holistic approaches to mental health, with of course, you know, those evidence based practices as well, is awesome.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's um, something that I realized that, and I think, you know, maybe other therapists have had this experience as well, where it's like, well, how do I bridge what I'm really passionate about with something else that I'm really passionate about? And, um, you know, I know that Anna. Uh, therapist who works at uh, the other therapist who works at collaborative insights she's has a very similar approach to like well she really loves reiki and yoga and all things spiritual um and almost like metaphysical and so how does she combine that with therapy and i think that that's the space that people really a lot of clients really appreciate that because like you said sometimes talk just talk based work is is helpful and it's effective but sometimes sometimes people need a little bit more and so um i like to put this in quotes but we offer that like something more
2: Mm-hmm. And i've always really been interested in doing something like that because i haven't heard of anything like an ecotherapy in my area and i don't know if that's just because i'm in the midwest and maybe it's not you know it hasn't come here yet we're like the last to get everything but versus the coast but um i know my therapist has talked in the past about even just like us meeting outside and going for a walk during our sessions to kind of get out in nature. And I don't know, is that some, are there other offices like yours kind of across the country, or is it still a newer, you know, concept collaboration?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, You know, so ecotherapy uh, is a little bit more formalized than walk and talk therapy. I actually, um, when people do contact me about ecotherapy, I'm like, well, there, it comes in different spec it comes on a spectrum, right? And so um, sometimes it does look like walk and talk therapy, just being able to get outside and connect in nature and be um, in the presence of uh, on a trail or in a park. It does great things to just be able, it helps with mood. I mean, we all know the impact of nature on mental health and mood. Um, And so there is that on the spectrum. And then ecotherapy sometimes becomes a little bit more advanced when we take the different elements of nature and create metaphor for healing and recovery. And so when it comes to trauma, for example, a lot of people that I work with like to be able to identify different metaphor that's happening in nature, to be able to apply that to um, trauma recovery and different themes that we're working on. So sometimes um, as you know, within the different stages of trauma treatment, if a person is, you know, in stages of two and three recovery after stabilizing their mood, they may find that they want to create that deeper metaphor for healing and recovery. Um, And so different, for example, different seasons, like spring is a season that a lot of my clients, uh, clients that I work with really appreciate and enjoy because it's like, well, there's a lot of birth happening and a lot of new, um, a lot of coming out of hibernation. And so being able to parallel process that while in nature, in accordance to your your treatment and your recovery can be very um, healing for some people. Mm -hmm. And so it exists in many states. I was also, um, when I decided to get my training in it, I was also shocked. I was like, well, I didn't didn't know that it can exist really anywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there are different centers that do training um, and different certifications, but I do believe there are some practices out in the Midwest that do have ecotherapy.
2: Oh, I'll have to look into that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's amazing that you really made it accessible for, you know, the general population. Like I could just, you know, sign up to be a client or look into that because before, usually when I've heard about, you know, combining like yoga and outdoor practices and meditation with the therapy aspect, it's usually like a really nice, like, you know, you go away for a week to mm-hmm. a resort and you're paying exorbitant fees to go to like California or whatever, and have like a wellness retreat. I mm-hmm. feel like that's very like in vogue right now. Yes. Um, at least on the internet. So I love that it's accessible to anybody. Yeah.
1: I feel, I've, i felt, I feel the same way as a consumer of like the holistic health field. I'm like, Okay, well, I want to get away and I want to do something for self care. I-, I could book a weekend of like a yoga retreat or some sort of like wellness retreat. But the big question here is like, is it sustainable? I- I'm sure for some people it is. But for me, I, I like the idea of like a biweekly check in with something that will continue to help me grow and I can break it down into pieces. And so um, I think a lot of clients of the practice really appreciate that as well, is that we work in chunks of things and it's not mm-hmm. just like a weekend getaway and then you come back to real life. Right. Um, there's integration into the real life aspect. But yes, I. Um, it's been a, a definitely a shift. And we also really make sure that we pride ourselves on the clinical aspect too. And so um, as much as we appreciate all of the holistic practices, um, we are so rooted within like continuing to hone in on our clinical skills because that's so important to therapy as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually, um, trained in EMDR and, um, are you trained in it? No, Okay. I just didn't, I didn't know know, everything about it. And I was going to tell you, but, um, she, Francine, Francine Shapiro, the founder of EMDR therapy actually got the idea when she was walking in nature. So I think it's really fascinating that, um, you know, another trauma based type of therapy was founded, you know, kind of going off nature. Of course it doesn't happen in nature, um, like the actual EMDR therapy, but it was, you know, she had the idea while she was walking through a forest or, you know, some sort of nature area. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that's really cool.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, one of the biggest themes that, and, um, you know, being that you have that background in trauma, we talk so much about safety. And I think a lot of times people don't feel a sense of safety within either their own home or like on a screen or, um, in sometimes even like the thera- the therapy room, it can feel very clinical yeah. versus nature itself has so, so many, um, elements of holding and holding space that, I don't know about you but as soon as i take a walk out in the woods or on a trail i just feel this like sense of being like like i can relax and so when a person feels safer their likelihood of being able to process and feel that like being held is there and so i think that it opens up a lot of doors for people um i've also seen how being across from someone and processing and talking back and forth in a session on the screen or in person is one thing but when we're walking together on a trail um there's you know, we can go off into topics that don't feel as like we're staring at each other. Robotic. and they're, yeah. yeah, it's robotic. Mm-hmm. And um, it almost just, it literally feels more natural and you feel more mm-hmm. human um, in those spaces. So I've found that it, it to be very effective with people.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it, it makes so much sense. And, you know, the in EMDR we create a safe space which is Mm -hmm. you know a an image in the or a place in their minds that they can go to if EMDR becomes too overwhelming and I would say that nine out of ten times maybe even ten out of ten times the the space someone creates in their mind is a place in nature Mm -hmm. it's a beach it's in the clouds it's um at someone's you know at their lake house growing up right? right like it's almost always nature-based. And so I find that really interesting Mm -hmm. Um, and just, again, shows the power of how people can feel so safe when they're in nature.
1: Absolutely. It's been a great opportunity and um, I really enjoy it. And I think it goes back to also like just that, you know, decolonizing mental health part. I, I offer this on our website, but I, you know, when I do talk about ecotherapy, I also like to offer the land acknowledgement that there is so much there that we um, also offer to the ancestors of the land and the people who have come before us that have made something, not just like, not just ecotherapy, but who have made this land available for us to, to use and connect back to our senses and who we are. Um, and so for some people, there is that part of like ancestral healing or tapping into their roots and feeling very connected with land. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we feel that sense of purpose uh, it can go into the place of spirituality and it can go into that place of um, feeling connected. And when it, not just with trauma, but recovery from mental health and being in a place of having challenges. with mental, We need to sometimes feel a sense of purpose or connection. And so the land offers a lot of that, too. And um, like I said, we just want to acknowledge those who have come before
0: us to make all that possible. Yeah. Absolutely. It's innate in us, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. where we, before, um, civilization, that's what we as humans were doing. So Mm -hmm. I love the acknowledgement to those who came before us.
2: Mm -hmm. And would you say with ecotherapy, is there like a certain, you know, type of candidate that it would be more beneficial for versus somebody else? I know you mentioned trauma is a really big one. Is there anybody that it might not be right for?
1: You know, I think it it depends on when it comes to therapy. And uh, I'm not sure if you guys have covered this in other conversations with other folks, but depending on a person's mood stability, I think it's very important. And so if a person is in a place where they have a more stable mood, and so if we're looking at symptoms of like psychosis, um, any sort of destabilization, if a person's being highly triggered by their trauma responses, then I probably wouldn't recommend being in an uncontained space like the outdoors. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I would not see clients who um, need more mood stabilization in an ecotherapy setting. Ecotherapy doesn't always have to be also done in person outside in a park. There are some prompts that I really offer to people, um, sometimes even virtually since I am located in North Carolina. I I work with a lot of people in New Jersey still, and I offer a lot of prompts such as being able to nurture a plant, um, being able to garden. Like these are skills and tools that someone may be able to practice on their own um, and create that. But it, for an ecotherapy session, it really depends on a person's mood stability. And so if, um, you know, there are a person not at risk of hurting themselves or another person and they feel that they can manage being in an outdoor space, uh, I, I think that they'd be a great candidate for it. And, uh, you know, there are folks who may find it even more beneficial. I've worked with a few people who have ADHD, who find that they really enjoy ecotherapy because there's a lot more to be engaged with, um, and a lot more movement and, um, releasing energy there. So, I think it can fit different needs. It doesn't always have to be movement based either. So sometimes it can just be sitting on a park bench and staring at a lake while we process and talk or, you know, being able to lay on the grass and experience that sort of grounding energy that comes from it. So it really just depends on the person and following again, that like treatment plan model. That's not always a one size fits all, uh, I've worked with some clients who love the rigorous hike and being able to break a sweat, and others who are like, "Can we just sit on this bench today, and you know, watch the ducks go by and and process while doing that?" So it, it, I think it just depends on the person at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like therapy is never a one-size-fits-all, mm-hmm. right? Like in grad school, you'd ask your professor a question and the number one answer was always, well, it depends, <laughs> right? Because it's so true. It, it really does depend. And, you know, speaking of grad school, I'm really interested to hear more about the your neuropsychological approach because the, my neuroscience class in grad school was my absolute favorite class because I love using, like, the science with mm-hmm. especially with more some with more of my lo- like logical based clients or like the ones who tend to intellectualize a lot, which often can be men, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm like, well, here's the science. It's hard to mm-hmm. refute that we actually can change the brain and that the brain is changed through trauma. So, um, I'd be mean, really excited to dive into that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I so the the neuroscience approach, you know, and I think you like what you're saying is. That psychoeducation is probably like the top thing that I love to do with people is just educating them on what's going on in their brain and their body, especially mm-hmm. when they're triggered. And so we're looking at it from that like trauma standpoint. I, I don't It's actually on my bookshelf back there. Um, it's a picture of the brain. And so oh, cool. I, I, I used to have it next to me and sometimes I, I have a, another angle view of it and I will hold it up and show you know clients what's going on in their brain when they are feeling triggered. Um, looking at the different parts of the nervous system are also really important, and so I've had um, sp- clients specifically map out wh- how their nervous system gets triggered when they have different responses. And so again, going back to that, like it's not always one size fit all. And so um, one of the things, like I'm sure you guys have seen the DSM. I love the DSM. You know, I appreciate all that it offers, but it doesn't always encompass what, what a person. It's also very overwhelming to look at. So being able to really provide the education of what's what stress responses your body's going through? How does it show up in your own body? Um, what, what does it feel like? What do you experience? What, do you, what does the client actually go through? I think that psycho, psychoeducation provides a lot of validation. It also provides a lot of support that a person's not crazy, that they're not going through something that is like out of this world. Um, being that therapy is so, it can be such a safe place, there's opportunity to really expand someone's understanding based on what's happening in their body. And when it comes to that part of nature, um, I mean, I'm I pridefully say that I, I love this. I'm, you know, I, I love the research and all the data. So there are a few articles that I link to clients about ecotherapy and being able to use uh, nature in that sense, and what soothes the prefrontal cortex of the brain, especially when it comes to nature and being outdoors. And so again, I think just like the data points are very important here mm-hmm. for for folks to understand. Uh, versus just like jumping in. I'm a big person of, I need to understand why something's happening to get a buy-in and understand it, And I think clients are the same way. So I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, education is a must.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with the psychoeducation piece and especially about what you said about not feeling crazy. I feel like that's such a big thing that when people come to therapy, and you know their therapist is like explaining things as you were just doing, um, like what's going on in their brain and what's going on in their body, and like the sometimes it can be like, like you, I'm I'm holding my hand over my face because I feel like sometimes people are just taken aback by, mm-hmm. oh okay, like this actually does make sense. Like I'm I don't just have this these feelings, or I don't just have these thoughts for no reason, or it's not because I'm, you know, a bad person or because I, you know, I deserve this or just, I just feel like it's so validating. So Mm -hmm. I appreciate you pointing that out because yeah, I've seen that a lot in my work, especially as a trauma therapist, like explaining to people how trauma affects their body and their mind and then for them to be validated. I feel like Mm -hmm. it can be, you know, not to be dramatic, but I feel like it can be life-changing.
1: Absolutely I think I've seen you know there's times where I'll, I'll uh, work with a client during the first session and we just go through a little bit of psychoeducation and they have had no really um, previous understanding of that and the the change that you can just see in the body language of a person who's like oh my okay so I'm not crazy and mm-hmm. I'm like this actually makes sense and oh is that why my stomach hurts or is that why I have this problem that exists in this part of my body uh you know I think that sometimes having those questions answered that aren't always explained uh in a medical setting or not always explained by like a quick google search I mean if you search like stomach problems on google you're gonna find a bunch of things before you find like you know, a traumatic experience that happened and the stress that's formulating around it. So I think that that's sometimes the beauty of therapy is I answered a lot of questions for people.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people that don't have any psychoeducation background really don't understand the mind-body connection and how much trauma or even stress can affect your physical body and how that can show up in, you know, headaches or stomach aches or rashes or you know a million different other things and in fitness i'm constantly telling people at the gym to focus on the mind body connection of okay you know you got to think about your bicep when we're doing this so you can activate it or brace your core or whatever so i think you know the psycho education piece that you guys are doing that you're both doing is awesome because it's so important and it it in a general sense growing up, it was never really talked about, at least for me in public Mm -hmm. school or even in college outside of like these social science classes.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's very, you know, coming from my personal background, I, um, I, I have shared this before and it's, I laugh at it now, you know, as like an adult, but growing up as a kid, I, had like one foot in a very um, Asian household where, you know, these were things that were consistently brought up and talked about, uh, about that mind body connection. And then like in school, I, you know, you'd get an ice pack for your stomach ache. And so there were like these confusing messages around like, well, is there something happening with the body or like, okay, well, we'll just deal with it, you know, from a medical model. And I agree with you. We're not always like taught, um, that that something to pay attention to. It's also like often like, well, we're taught to push through pain, we're taught to just like move on, ignore it, um, to really just deal with it until it becomes a problem. And so, you know, I I don't think we always like live, we don't always live in a society or in a world where it's acknowledged that there's actually something going on and we should pay attention to it. Um, but I laugh at it as an adult because I was like, "Oh, I should have just listened to my mom a little bit more,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but when you're young, it's confusing because you're like these Mm -hmm. multiple authority figures, like who is
0: right? Like. It's, yeah, I understand. Anyone wants
1: to listen to their parents when you're young.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. No. Well, and I experienced chronic migraines and I Mm. started, you know, experiencing them at a really young age. And I now know it was related to the trauma I experienced at a young age, Mm. but I went to, you know, I, I passed out one day. Right. So I went to the, my parents took me to the emergency room and all the doctors were like, yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Like, so just, you know, take um, Excedrin and then you'll, you know, take that and then you'll be good. And then, you know, I got, you know, what, like when you get used to medicine and it no longer works, that's what happened because I was just taking Mm -hmm. Excedrin every day because I was like, well, it's good that I, to know I don't have a brain tumor, but that doesn't really Mm -hmm. help, um, Mm -hmm. help heal, you know, help heal my headaches. And now, Mm -hmm. you know, going through my own um, trauma work and understanding that, oh yeah, my, Migraines started after my trauma happened, mm. so you know it makes sense. And now having significant less migraines, you know, as an adult, and after doing you know some of my own healing work, it's re- it's really fascinating, you know, from my own experience to see that mind body connection where there was no medical mm-hmm. reason for my headaches. I had no idea that it could be related to uh, my trauma.
1: Hmm. I you know I think the your story is so unique and then the amount and I've, you know, I've experienced similar is that like how if we could all go back and think of that, like there was something I was really going through, but it was labeled as this other thing that is so easy to fix. Like a headache is relatively easy to like, you know, you take medication and it goes away and there's science backed there, but there are so many adults out there now who can look back and be like, Oh, that was actually the problem. And like, that's what I was going through. And I think, you know, I think that there are spaces where people show up in therapy and don't always have that that question answered. Of like, oh, well, that was that that was my trauma, and mm-hmm. it shows up as autoimmune problems, It shows up as chronic pain, um, it shows up as like pain while even processing and like sometimes ignoring that, um, even like physical discomfort that comes up. And so, you know, I think that when people say that they are in trauma-based therapy or working on their trauma i i always ask like are you paying attention to your body as a result of that because there's Mm -hmm. so much that the body is saying and um i know it's like one of the most popular books out there but body keeps the score Yeah, everybody knows it the
0: bible (laughs) (laughs) in every other episode (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah we're we're big fans of it um and you know it's interesting that you say that because I suppressed my trauma for 12, 13 years, didn't think about it. But I started having such bad physical pain that I could no longer ignore it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, and I was in grad school at the time. So I was like, "Mm, okay, this could be related to Mm -hmm. what I went through. So I started to go to therapy, but I literally resisted going to therapy for so long because I was like, I can suppress the thoughts. I can suppress the feelings. Mm -hmm. I could not suppress the physical pain that Mm -hmm. was showing up in my body because I was not processing my, you know, my childhood experiences. So I I love that you asked that question to your clients, because I think we can't, we can, not that it's easy to ignore the thoughts or feelings, right. But we have different kinds of coping mechanisms that can help suppress that. But the Mm -hmm. body is like, you're going to listen to me and you're going to listen to me now because this is, this is too much
1: yeah and if you don't listen to the body i'm not saying that there are con there are not consequences if you don't listen to the mind but there are severe consequences like we can't go to work we can't take care of children we can't take care of families like there are severe consequences and again we live in a model of this world where the body the functioning of the body is so important Mm -hmm. uh, that if we can't and I, i find so many people come to therapy at that point where it's like i'm uh, taking a disability i'm going on leave i you know I, i'm at the point where if i don't do this work i don't know if i'll be able to move or i don't know if i'll be able to get back to this functioning and you know i wish we lived in a model where it was like hey let's pay attention to those warning signs that are coming up and and start processing and talking about it but i it, it's um it is super important
2: mm-hmm. and the thing is sometimes You know when you go to a medical doctor for a checkup they don't typically ask you like what's going on or at least mine not like what's going on with your mental health or you know have you gone through any big life changes or something that could theoretically really attribute to this physical ailment that you're now having like i have a really similar story to emily and i had chronic pain in my joints like all through high school and college like i was on pain medication and like couldn't figure out what the heck was wrong with me. I had stomach problems and the doctors would just tell me like I was just stressed. And then Mm -hmm. find out later that through therapy and like doing trauma work and now I feel pretty much, you know, like 90% or something like way better than I did. And it's, you know, now sometimes people or friends or family will approach me and talk about their chronic pain. And I'm like, not to sound weird, but have you considered therapy or like talking to somebody maybe there's something Mm -hmm. else going on that's not just like the you know western medicine physical autoimmune response that you might be Mm -hmm. experiencing
1: Mm, absolutely and that's that piece that i think are you know i I have it written out and i I follow that like we don't always you know and, and i don't know emily if you've experienced this and um, Ashley too, but the way I learned therapy is through a very Eurocentric model, and it was a lot of um, theory. and And I love all I love all that theory, and I love all that good stuff. But a a lot of it did not teach us of like the the body stuff, right? These are these are certificates and education that I've gotten after even after graduate school. But we learned I love you know I don't love Freud, but we spend a lot of time learning <laughs> about Freud, and all that stuff is great. But like. That doesn't come up in a lot of my work with people what does come up is again like what's happening and these are these are a lot of sciences that have been studied in the eastern part of the world and and other parts of the world too um but it, it's so important and i think that like goes back to the practice of like land and people and um culture sometimes that there are th- there are resources that most people already have or that we can build that don't have to always do with like medication or that like western medical
2: model mm-hmm. yeah history glorifying a white guy never <laughs> that, that never <laughs> <happened>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're and, like,
2: like you spend so much time studying freud and like how much do you actually apply that in your daily practice like
1: not much
0: right i i'm a okay i'm a psychodynamic therapist too so i will say like i do a lot of like mm-hmm. family of origin work right mm-hmm. but not a lot of uh how do you want to have sex with your mom or your dad type yes. of work, yes. right no. and i feel like it's, it's it is frustrating that the, the eastern countries have had this knowledge for so long right and we don't study it as much as we should in the Western culture. Because if you think about even like self-compassion, which is like my favorite thing to talk about with Mm -hmm. clients, because I'm huge, I'm huge on it. Right. And that I feel like has a lot of Eastern roots. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to butcher anything by saying exactly where it comes from, but I do know that it has a lot of Eastern roots. So it's like, yeah, I feel like if we were to, you know, collect all the knowledge that we have in the world and actually put it into like the education, especially for therapists. I just imagine that could be so um, helpful.
1: Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I think that that's that place of acknowledging and um, spending time, you know, for for me, a lot of it has been shifting and learning from those specific cultures and and, in those countries. And, you know, I As much as I do love tapping into different resources and trainings and stuff, I have tried to make a conscious shift to being like, let me search for a training that's led by a person of color or a person of that culture or of that origin and that background, because I'm not saying that they're the complete expert, but I'm also maybe learning from uh, that lens. And that goes back to that even like decolonizing the work of like that person holds maybe a lot of knowledge and power and understanding in that practice. And so uh, maybe I can learn it through there. And sometimes it's, it's a challenge. It's hard to find those people, but they exist out there. And I wish there were a lot more bridges to grad students to be able to do that. Because like I said, I, I love my grad program, but Mm -hmm. it didn't teach me a lot of this stuff. And um, I currently teach at Rutgers. So I'm like, I make the shift. I'm like with all my students. I'm like, we do mindfulness practice. We talk about some of those stuff and I'm like, let's, engage in some of these parts because i hope that i hope that opens the door that if they choose to go down this path um they know it's possible
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no that's awesome and yeah that we definitely i think we were saying this on an episode we recorded a couple weeks ago that we definitely need more people of color therapists right and you know and more um, ability to access like Mm -hmm. those trainings that you're talking about. Because the last training I had was nonetheless led by a white guy, right? So it's like, (laughs) if we can get more of those voices amplified, right, and and, in settings where people can learn from them, yeah, we could, again, have access to that knowledge. And like I was saying, the impact it could have on Mm -hmm. us as clinicians in our trainings and even in school, it could go a long way
1: agreed absolutely i support it
0: (laughs) (laughs) so random question
2: is it difficult to find practitioners that have the mental health backgrounds and certification and like the yoga side too because i know they're both like pretty you know intensive to get the certifications like i'm sure you would know more specifics but i know just with yoga it's like hundreds of hours to get certain you know like trauma work and things like that
1: yeah that's a good question I you know I will say that it's um like I think there are there are things outside of my not my understanding and I can't I can't explain them for why they happen but Anna and I met in a place of just like it was it was that we talk about it all the time about how like she's actually from New Jersey as well and we both moved to North Carolina within the same year and we met and I was like Hey, like I'm, you know, looking and she had all these qualifications. So she completely spoiled um, collaborative insights and our practice with all that she offers. But I do find that uh, a lot of therapists who do end up working a little bit more on the somatic side of recovery have sometimes that natural interest of offering things like yoga and movement and mindfulness. And um, again, that like body-based work. And I... I think it's a lot of hours, like he said, it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of work. So I completely uh, commend and appreciate those who go through that process of training and specializing their practice. But there are uh, quite a few people out there who have combined that place. And I think it just takes years of developing that passion and that experience.
2: Yeah, and that's awesome. And like you were saying, bringing it back to the education piece, if we're integrating this more in like undergraduate and graduate schools, maybe people can start, you know, taking classes in all these different disciplines. Mm -hmm. So you can work on that from, you know, the beginning of your career.
1: Yeah, they have, um, I know that they do have trauma-informed yoga teacher training. um, And so they even have, they've, they've really been, integrating more of an understanding of even just yoga and body movement i think that this is you know clients i work with i do a lot of education around like we're like well i'm gonna go take a yoga class and i'm like whoa 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 whoa, let's like pause i know like we're talking about movement here but engaging in safe movement that makes sense for your body for where it's at is super important and so Mm -hmm. there are you know um practitioners out there who are focusing in on yoga that is trauma informed and movement that is important for people at st- different stages of recovery.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, just really harping on that safety is absolutely necessary to recover from trauma and for, you know, for a, a therapeutic relationship to mm-hmm. feel safe, it has to, um, or for a therapeutic relationship to be effective, it has to feel safe, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of a weird transition, so just go with me, but I feel like um, a lot of the problem with uh, uh, um, going to therapy is that a lot of men kind of transitioning into men's mental health is that it might not feel safe because it could be seen as weak, right, or Mm -hmm. seen as I don't need to go to therapy. I'm just going to figure out my problems on my own, right? And so, again, I know I said it's kind of a weird transition, but I feel like it kind of makes sense. Like, they might not feel safe to access therapy because of the stigma, especially, you know, stigma exists in mental health in lots Mm -hmm. of different ways, but I think especially for men,
1: Yeah, I, I will say it. So when I first started working and specializing with men, I was working at UPenn and I worked in the men's trauma program. And Mm -hmm. of course that is a high, it's, you know, identified as a higher level of care. And, um, folks who were seeking that treatment were at a place where they like needed, um, therapeutic intervention. And it was a place where it's like, okay, well, If they were not to do it, there were, there were consequences like losing uh, support of their family, losing a job. And I think that exists for women as well. It's not just with men, but I will say that a lot of men that I do work with are in a place where, and I don't want to say all, because I can't, I can't type class and like categorize everyone. But a lot of men that I have worked with were like, well, my partner wants me, my partner's encouraging me to go to therapy. Um. (laughs) it's sometimes extrinsically motivated and I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that person listening to that place and uh, using that encouragement and that support versus sometimes with women I do, I find that there is a lot a lot of intrinsic motiva- motivation. I think that there is that stigma associated with men, you know, seeking access and, and support. I think it's also how, what I think you said it so well before Emily, like for men, having that. And, and I think women too, cause I, I'll put myself in that category, but I think for men, there is a place of needing more of that psychoeducation and understanding of, of, um, what's happening to the body. There's that more rational and logical processing that needs mm-hmm. to be satisfied to get that buy-in. And I think men, it, there is a, there is a culture oftentimes where men are really scared to talk about things because, um, there are a lot of things that are happening in this world that impede on women's rights and how women experience men in itself. And so for men to come out and talk about abuse or trauma or things that they've experienced is very, I can imagine how scary it really is to have a voice and say that they're also in a place of maybe being a victim of trauma or abuse and stuff. Um, and so there, there are a lot of barriers around that. Um, and, I mean, I think I get it, but men sometimes get a lot of hate uh, and they hold a lot of that weight. And to just to push through that and ask for help, I think it carries, um, it carries a lot for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Ashley and I kind of smiled when you said um a lot of times it's their partner wanting them to go to therapy. And I've talked on the podcast before about my experience working in sex addiction, I worked mm-hmm. in, an, um, an IOP for sex addiction. So a mm-hmm. lot of the times them, and again, not everyone, but a lot of the times the our population was men and a lot mm-hmm. of times that they would come because their spouse wanted them to come because they had just, you know, had some infidelity or, you know, some other sense and, uh, so we saw a lot of that. And I also saw a lot of men who were victims um, of some sort of sex- sexual trauma themselves. Mm-hmm. And that I think anytime you experience sexual trauma, there's going to be shame. Or mm-hmm. for most people, there is shame. But I think it's especially like you were saying for men who, okay, women are coming out and sharing their experiences and men mm-hmm. also, right? Especially like with religious trauma, there's a mm-hmm. lot of mm-hmm. um, sexual abuse that happens to men right and so yeah I just just kind of emphasizing what you were saying and how I see that in you know my work as well yeah
1: it's important I think that's why it's you know um even just on a therapist profile if you if if a therapist is interested in working with men or like creating that sort of niche population I think it's important to talk about the fact that you do have experience in working with men as well I think that's men are more likely to seek that support from that therapist if they know that they have that experience. Um, you know I- I've worked with a few men who have tried therapy before and they're like, well the therapist was so biased and would you know consistently bring up like the women's side of thing and I'm like, oh, like it would you know make me feel like a little cringy inside and I know we're all therapists are fallible as well and we go through our own things. Um, but I think it's so important to be able to, continue, continuously educate on men's issues and understand that, but, um, to put that out there that you do work with men and that you can create that safe space for them. I think that that, that also encourages them to reach out.
2: Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's st- statistics out there, but I'm assuming trauma probably affects all genders in a somewhat even distribution. So yes. it's definitely. Sad that you know men feel like they can't reach out and get that help and I've noticed just anecdotally from either male friends or family members There's it's just hard for them to even acknowledge that they might be going through something at all to even say like I have Anxiety or depression. I've just noticed it a lot more in women that I know and you know i've even had guys say like oh i'm not like depressed like whatever like why would i be depressed or like why would i need to go get help why would i need to talk to somebody like i don't want to do that like there's just such Mm -hmm. a resistance to it and i think a lot of it is of course that just toxic masculinity too Mm -hmm. which is sad but i've definitely i mean i've i've fought that battle. I'm trying to get like men in my mm-hmm. life to go to therapy that were at one point resistant to it, that now really are happy that they went, but it's hard to get over that initial hurdle. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, I think like the, uh, the actual mental health, like, for example, depression, anxiety, trauma the symptoms of all of that show up for a lot of men. And those are also symptoms that are oftentimes very like validated or reinforced. Like for example, um, anxiety in men sometimes comes off as a very high functioning male, right? Like being able to do a lot of stuff and like be the best at your job and um, be able to do it all. And that's so validated, right? And like reinforced. And so why would someone want to go against that, right? Like there is this place of like, well, it upholds your image and th- there's space there for, why would you create that space to like take down that image? Because there's shame, there's potential shame there. Um, for a lot of men, depression looks like irritability and irritable, like the stigma of just like, well, men are irritable, right? Like how, that's just like mm-hmm. what we believe about men in society they're angry, they're irritable. But we don't always look at that as like, well, that may be potentially depression um, mm-hmm. and that may actually be trauma there. So I think a lot of times the symptoms are just like, Again, there's a lot of stigma there, and it's not always really looking at like, well, there's something else happening underneath there, mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to break through that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the things that are reinforced by society because I feel like a lot of the men that I've worked with were very successful, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they would say, "Well, I mean it." I had no choice. Like, this is what I was going to do. This is what I had to do. Like, I had to be successful. I had to, you know, suppress anything else that was telling me, uh, anything that goes against being successful. So then when you try to engage, like, maybe we should scale back on some things Mm -hmm. because it might be, you know, causing your anxiety to increase or your depression to increase or whatever it may be. Like, there's a lot of resistance because like, no, like I need, I need to hold on to those things because they're, trauma response, oftentimes, yeah, I'm really successful. And so I need to hold on to that. So finding that balance, right, I feel like can be difficult. There's nothing wrong with, you know, the ways that you've coped in the ways you know, your success or anything like that. However, is it still serving you to Mm -hmm. go all out, right, or go to those extremes? You know, the answer is likely no, if they're in Mm -hmm. that space
1: hmm. And that's therapy is a journey for that reason. And it takes time. And I think that the, the therapeutic relationship is so important there of knowing that there is safety there with many, many of the men that I work with. I notice that it takes and, and it is because I'm not in the in group. Um, and I don't know if their relationship would be safer with another man or another male. But I know that it takes me a little bit more time to build that safety, especially with men who've experienced trauma. Um, because a lot of that trauma is also from from women. And so safety in a relationship is like what you're saying is so, so huge. And and it can take months to build that. It can take a very, very long to build that. But once that safety is built, there's space for a person to maybe push against those behaviors or trust that like, when well, my therapist is telling me to maybe like scale back on this behavior. And I've built this months and months of trust and and safety within this relationship with her. So I'm going to try it. And I think that that's why that, again, that like therapeutic relationship is so important. Um, mm-hmm. That is one thing I really loved about learning in grad school <laughs> that they emphasized yeah. over and over again. Um, but it, it is so important.
0: Yeah. I actually wrote my thesis, my yeah. graduate thesis on the therapeutic relationship. Yeah. So <laughs> it was definitely one of, the, one of the things I took away from grad school. We mm-hmm. didn't learn everything, but we definitely mm-hmm. did learn about that. Yes.
2: And what are some of the common mental health themes that you often see with men, and some that might be different uh, with the women population?
1: Well, I think that, like I said, the, big, the bigger ones that I, um, and maybe it's just the area that I've sort of um, ended up specializing and working in, is I work with a lot of men who've experienced emotional abuse. Um, I, being that I am a South Asian therapist, I work with a lot of South Asian men uh, and I find that that is a huge part within the South Asian male population is experiencing a lot of emotional abuse, whether it's through family, um, like family of origin. And then also it can be a spouse and uh, other family related now. It's also so um, hard to label it as emotional abuse for a lot of a lot of those clients because again, it offers so much shame that like, well, how can I, as a man go through, how can I be abused? But it is something that I think has a deep impact on relationships and functioning, um, self-esteem ego. There's so much there. So I see a lot of emotional, a lot of emotional abuse. Um, like Emily, like you said, I've worked with quite a few people who've experienced sexual abuse. And even that is, um, something that, takes maybe months to get to for, for some people or they're, uh, with processing things do come up and and understanding and clarity of that has also come up. I work with, um, a few people who present in that place of anger and irritability. And again, I think it's seen as anger issues, but it roots back down to depression and sometimes mood disorders. Mm -hmm. And there can be underlying trauma there as well. But I, I definitely see those come up the most within specifically working with South Asian men.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And yes, I've definitely seen the anger that Mm -hmm. shows up um, in sessions and oftentimes there's something underlying that anger, right. And getting Mm to that, getting to that can be hard for them to accept, right? Because they're like, no, I'm just angry because of X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. I'm not angry because I'm depressed, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of acceptance work, I think, that comes with, you know, with most therapy. But that's especially what I've seen in working with men. And I will say, having worked in sex addiction as a young female therapist, my um, view on men definitely changed. And Mm so I think that that's pretty cool that, you know, I, I can admit, right? Had a lot of biases, especially with infidelity when it comes to men. And seeing those, I even worked with people who um, were sexual predators, right? Like people who were convicted of sexual crimes. And just the 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 stigma I had toward, and the biases I had towards men, and you know, those populations definitely decreased. Again, not saying that any of it is okay, but just Mm -hmm. the stigma and the biases I had decreased, and so. It just makes me think like if we could just talk about men's mental health more, the stigma could be reduced, I imagine, so significantly.
1: I I completely agree with you. I feel very similar. I was working in a women's trauma program and a position to open on the men's trauma unit. And I was like, I don't think I'm a good fit for this. Like, I mm-hmm. have my own trauma and like, I don't know if I want to do this and. And then I shifted and I was like, I love, I I love that I'm being offered another viewpoint on life. And that space, again, I don't agree with a lot of things that a lot of clients, not just men, you know, I think there are a lot of behaviors that people engage in that I don't agree with, but that deep empathy and understanding that a person's human, that men also experience some of these things that women do. And um, maybe it's just that men don't always have the space to talk about it. And, You know, there are times where I would sit in a a therapy room, in a group therapy room. And, you know, I I don't know, Emily, if you experienced this, but I worked with a lot of uh, veterans and police officers and firefighters and folks who are, you know, deeply traumatized by their line of work. And the amount of vulnerability and emotion that could exist in a room was, I mean, I can just like, as I'm talking about, I could feel it in my stomach and in my body of, it, it was amazing to see that people who really do want to commit to that work. Um, can if it's a safe space. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of times where I'm like, well, if I saw this guy on the street, I would never think he'd be in a therapy room talking about his feelings, but being able to build that place and space is so, so important. And so if we do that more often, I can only imagine the changes that could happen.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I absolutely experienced that. I've talked about that on some, our inner child work episode, actually, and like the work that I saw in group therapy when it was mostly men and just the the vulnerability, right, that showed up, it, it shaped me for sure. into Mm -hmm. who I am as a person and who I am as a therapist. And I'm so uh, glad that I took that kind of scary leap Mm -hmm. when I interviewed for that position to be like, the first thing they were like, are you okay working with sex addiction and men? And I was like, sure, because I wanted the job, right, but (laughs) didn't really know what it would always Mm -hmm. tell. And now I'm so grateful to have had that experience because yeah, the, the viewpoint that I could never have right as a woman, um, it's definitely changed me. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. If we could talk about it more, um, the stigma would decrease. And that's why we're so glad that you came on this podcast and connected via Instagram to talk about this.
1: Yes, of course. I, I, you know, I love talking all things, trauma and, you know, ecotherapy and holistic and mental health. I mean, we're, uh, we have a mix, a mixed bag of things going on, just as I imagine many different therapy practices do and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're passionate about it. So any space we can get to talk about it,
2: I, I welcome it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I would, um, something I, that's really stuck out to me reading about your work that I'd love to talk about in the future when we have another hour, cause I'm sure we could talk about this yeah. for a while, but is the cultural trauma aspect I know you kind of touched on that with working with the South Asian population, especially with men. I think that would be something that would be so awesome to deep dive into at some time.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, just, you know, briefly, when in talking about culture, it's, I think it's important as therapists and as people that we don't always assume that because a person has had a cultural trauma, a trauma within their culture, that all people of that culture will have a similar trauma, and I think that that's that place of a lot of education and cultural competency and cultural humil- humility work that social—not just social workers, but all therapists—I think really need to continue engaging in. But there are times where um, I think that there are some cultural and and even just Emily, you brought up even religious trauma, but there are cultural and religious practices that do border emotional abuse, verbal abuse. Uh, if a person is really just not in the in group anymore. Um, and has been made to feel like they are no longer welcome in that in-group it does extreme harm to the psyche and and a person's mental health and so i think that that is not just um you know when we talk about heritage wise culture it can also be gender-based uh you know there are so many different groups of culture where if a person is not made to feel like they're in in group anymore it does you know again that deep harm so would love to come back and talk about that or just keep keep talking about it because i heavily focus on that on i mean the work that i do with people yeah
2: Yeah. absolutely we'll get that schedule because even just you know thank you for that explanation because i was really ignorant to just like you know the general definition of it so that's that's great to know and all our podcast is all about just like educating people that might not have that background on mental health and so we would love to help spread some awareness and information on that too especially even just for ourselves.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I also really, we were talking about this in the beginning of before we started recording, like I really enjoyed talking about therapy and not doing therapy. Like it's just, yeah. it's just so fun to be all to, um, I probably sound like a nerd saying it's fun, but I think it's fun to be able to talk about therapy and mental health, not just when you're sitting across from somebody mm-hmm.
1: I completely agree. And I think that's like, like you said, we stepped in. I was like, I'm excited to be here because after, you know, I, I love the space that I have with clients and um, it's just different to be able to talk about the the bigger things that impact people very individually. And there are times where I tune into a podcast and I'm listening to something and I'm like, oh, wow, I like learned something different or mm-hmm. I, I advanced some of my skills here. And I think that's like I always tell people like processing is like input and output. We like say something and we hear it and then we like take it back in. And I think having com- like live conversations with people and expanding our views and understanding of things is just it's learning. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: we need mm-hmm. to do that outside of the therapy room too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I can I wait for part two because yes. I really enjoyed yes. today's conversation. You have so much to offer and we're so appreciative of you, you coming on and talking about everything you did today.
1: Of course. I love that you guys have this going on. And like I said, I'm always down to talk things therapy. So I appreciate the work that you're doing too.
0: Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, if anything resonated, please reach out to a licensed therapist or professional to get help outside of listening to a podcast, even though we hope that this was helpful. And if you like the show and you're following along, please leave us a review or give us a rating or both. It really helps out the show. So love you, Rash.
2: Love you, M.